Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Lots to cover today. There always is. I think you'll find these particularly interesting. First of all, the history of artificial intelligence, of AI. That you will find really fascinating, and how apropos it is in today's mania over that subject. And then, of course, we'll have the rest of the story on AI. We're going to talk about, as I promised you last week, a doctor by the name of Peter Hotez. Pompous, progressive, self-centered, an authoritarian health Nazi. But there's more to his story. (laughs) None of it good. And it ties right in with the whole COVID conjure, the scamdemic, and the safe and effective lies we were fed about the jab. If we have time, we're going to do a little bit more on China's Silk Road Initiative, astounding undertaking. Brilliant. I mean, you know, you have to give your enemy credit where credit is due. And we're going to talk a little bit about Ukraine, because I have a feeling that things are about to blow sky high in Ukraine. And by the way, that's not just a metaphor. That that may be exactly what might happen. But some really interesting things about the corruption of the 150 or so billion of our tax money that has been sent over there without our approval, of course. In fact, without our knowledge, in fact, sometimes so after the case, after the uh, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak, the dollars are out of our pocket. And of course, no problem for the United States of America because we're flush. We're not broke. We don't have $34 trillion in debt. Mm-mm, nothing to see here. But let me tell you, I'll give you a little prelude to this. The words BlackRock? Oh, you'll be really interested to see how much money they've gotten out of this deal and for what. And what would a discussion on Ukraine be without a discussion on Biden and Biden family and overall government corruption? I got some gems to share with you there. And then, of course, we're going to have rat-a-tat-tat, some eyeball-rolling, jaw-dropping, hair-curling Stories from the dystopia that we seem to exist in, in 2023, America and the world. First, let's start off with our founder's quote. And I think with the stories today, all of them in some way, shape, or form centered around money. You'll find this this quote by Alexander Hamilton apropos. Ambition without principle never was long under the guidance of good sense. Ambition without principle never was long under the guidance of good sense. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. To boil that down, too much money involved in a deal leads to corruption, which is not good sense. How about our rant story this week? So, several of you have sent me emails. No, we, we still don't have any hay cut. We'll have to see how all that transpires over the next week. I'm sure I'll have a rant story or two to share with you on that score. But we finally got the Upper Ranch headquarters open just a few days ago. I mean, normally we have her going and rocking and rolling and 100% habitable, etc. At least by the end of April, sometimes uh, early April, depending upon the year. But this year, with the weather and the rain and the snow and the winter and 
all the other things that went into it, we just got it open. Plus or minus two or more months late. And of course, the growth up there with all the rain is unbelievable. I mean, grass two feet high, uh, unfortunately, and we hope not, fuel up there in the high country for late summer fires, always kind of a horror show. And we wanted to kind of clear out all that fuel, those high grasses around the headquarters and around the sheds that equipment is stored in up there. And we spent the last two days doing that. And my quote-unquote lieutenant was up there with me, and we hauled some equipment up from the lower ranch. And I was off busy doing something, whatever it was. And I come back, and he had cut this pretty large area. There's a little creek that goes by the cabin. He, he was cutting everything on the opposite side of the creek. And to my horror, I saw that the grass was cut really low. In fact, there were dirt scrapes and exposed dirt really kind of all over the place. And I ran up to him and said, what do you have that thing set on? You know, it's not a riding lawnmower. It's kind of a, uh, a tractor with a drop-down six-foot sickle on it. He goes, well, I have it set at two inches. I said, no, 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 set it at four inches. What are you doing? Anyway, the long story short is not only did it kind of damage that area, and we'll probably have to reseed certain spots, and now it's going to bake in what is starting to be a grudging sun that's finally like a visible more often than not, unlike the last six months. But we also had to spend an hour and a half raking this unbelievable amount of cuttings we could have hated it into piles and then transporting them with the bucket on the tractor over to our little dump site out in the woods so we had extra work extra costs extra expense we're gonna have to spend more time seeding it all because the drop down mower on the tractor was set at two inches rather than four i mean he meant well but the moral of this story folks is that sometimes in fact often less is more Yes, less is more. You can always increase your output and application. But once you've, <laughs> once you've applied whatever you're doing or whatever methodology or logistics you are employing to get done what you are doing, then there is no going back. Let's talk about the history of AI. In the big picture, let's talk about computers first, computing. So the first computers, the first digital computers they were built in the 1940s, believe it or not. The first microprocessor, which began to speed up computations, was around 1970. The early days of the Internet, in fact, less than five one-hundredths of one percent of the world was on the Internet, was around 1990. You know, that's just a few years ago, really. The first iPhone was about 2005-2006. And now, in 2023, we are making and who knows whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, the quantum leap into AI, artificial intelligence. In fact, just 10 years ago, no machine could reliably provide language or image recognition at a human-type level, but now they can. And really, just over the last 12 to 24 months, there's been a quantum leap forward in this quantum computing component called AI since just 2017, six years ago. Let's go back in time. You know, Ancient Egyptians and Romans, they were always kind of awestruck by religious statues. What they didn't know is that the statues were being manipulated by priests behind the scenes. You could call it kind of a combination of make-believe AI and psyops way back when. 
As long ago as the 16th century, people kind of dreamed of what's happening now, not even knowing, of course, the word computers or anything like that. There was a Swiss philosopher, Bombastus, you probably heard the name, quote, We shall be like gods. We shall duplicate God's greatest miracle, the creation of man, unquote. Well, I think you got a little carried away, but you, you kind of get the inference. So AI has gone through a number of different stages, kind of fascinating, and we're now... We are just entering the age of generative AI. I'll explain that to you here as we go through. Let's start off way back when AI was a speck of a gleam in the eyes of some scientists. There was a conference in 1956. It was called the Dartmouth Conference. It's kind of the seminal event in the history of AI. And it was a summer research project that took place in 1956 at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. It was the first of its kind. It brought together researchers from different fields of study, computer science, mathematics, physics, others, with the sole aim of exploring the potential of synthetic intelligence. The term AI had not been coined yet. It was originally called synthetic intelligence. Two of the high mucky mucks that attended that were guys by the name of John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky. And these early pioneers discussed all sorts of different uses for synthetic intelligence natural language processing, problem solving, machine learning. And they laid out kind of a roadmap for AI research, including the development of programming languages and algorithms for creating intelligent machines. It was at this conference that synthetic intelligence got the name artificial intelligence. And this conference helped establish AI as a separate and legitimate field of study. And it encouraged for the first time, the development of kind of new technologies and techniques. And out of this conference, McCarthy and his colleagues developed the first AI programming language, LISP, LISP. And by the way, this language still exists today, and back then it was the foundation of all AI research. The conference also led to the establishment of research labs, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Stanford, to name a few. And it was at this conference that what was called the Turing test, T-U-R-I-N-G, test was formulated and began to become in use. Alan Turing, he was a British mathematician. He proposed the idea of a test to determine whether a machine could exhibit intelligent behavior that was indistinguishable from a human brain. And that Turing test remains in full force and effect today. The next phase of AI development was called the perceptron the perceptron is an artificial kind of neural network. It was a scientific architecture. It was designed by a psychologist, believe it or not, Frank Rosenblatt in 1958. And it was the birth of what is now known as brain-inspired approach to AI, where researchers build AI systems to mimic the human brain. Gee, what could go wrong? Now, later on, it kind of fell out of favor. They found that the algorithms had some problems, and interest in the perceptron and AI research in general declined in the 60s and 70s. But then, within that period of, should we say, regression in AI, there was a mini-boom, and it resulted in significant progress and interest, heightened interest in artificial intelligence. And certain scientists who had not kind of stepped back from the field with the disappointment of the, of the perceptron began to study symbolic reasoning, natural language processing, and machine learning. And during that time, oh, guess what happened? The U.S. government became interested in AI, and they began funding research projects, including through such agencies as 
the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or as we all know it lovingly, DARPA. What could go wrong there? Can anybody talk about gain-of-function Wuhan? Okay. Obviously, this funding kind of kicked at least those aspects of AI that were being researched then in the butt and got them going. And at the end of the 60s, several landmark AI systems have been developed. One was called the General Problem Solver, or GPS. And then AI really fell out of favor after the 60s and 70s. It's called the AI Winter of the 1980s. And all the research that had occurred before fell into a big glacial slowdown. Part of this was because a lot of the AI projects that had been developed earlier were failing to deliver. I mean, they just weren't doing what they were cracked up to do. And this led to funding cuts. And, you know, without money, oh, back to Alexander Hamilton's quote of today, this led many researchers to become disillusioned. It wasn't until the 1990s that interest in AI began to pick up again. And by the way, as an aside, so this winter of AI in the 80s, remember all the hype that led up to it. You know, how this was the end-all, be-all, and people were going to get rich, and this is going to change life, and the whole nine yards. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like today. You know, just a word of caution here. The next phase of AI development was called the development of expert systems. Expert systems are a type of AI technology that was developed late in the 80s, and they're designed to mimic the decision-making abilities of a human expert in a specific domain or field, medicine, finance, engineering, to name a few. In its basic essence, the expert system are composed of a knowledge base, and it contains information about that particular topic, the engineering, the whatever. And it also contains what's called an inference engine, which uses all this data bank of information to reason about new inputs and make decisions or recommendations. And expert systems for the first time began to use various forms of reasoning, like the human mind, deduction, induction, abduction. So these expert systems were a significant milestone, and they demonstrated, very importantly, that AI, at least at that time, as applied to specific things, specific fields of endeavor, was practical, and it paved the way for all the advancements that we're now seeing. The 1990s was a go-go period for AI. You had the emergence of what's called the NLPs and computer vision. AI research began to spread kind of outside the United States and around the globe. But even at that time, the AI systems could only handle structured data. In other words, you know, here are all the engineering quotients. Tell me how I have to design this foundation. But I'm giving you an example. It wasn't until the late 1990s that AI advanced enough to use unstructured data, like natural language, natural text, or images, which, if you think about it, are always somewhat ambiguous and usually have to be seen in context. One of the key highlights of this era was the development of a system called the Hidden Markov Model, M-A-R-K-O-V, or H-M-M. That allowed for what they call probabilistic modeling of natural language. And that is what started all the advances that you're, many of you are now aware of, even if you talk into your phone and type a text or whatever. That started off all the speech recognition, language translation, and text classification things that you use as a matter of course day to day now. And in the field of computer vision, a computer's ability to see an image and change it, alter it, combine it with other images to come up with an image that the user wants to see, 
convolutional neural networks, or CNNs. <laughs> I, I don't want to belittle AI by equating them to CNN, the uh, cable deal, but that's what they're called. And they allowed these CNNs for more accurate object recognition and image classification. By the way, these techniques are now like really key in self-driving cars and medical imaging. And then we come into the 2000s, right? The year 2000, uh, 2010, give or take. And that is called the rise of big data, period. Big data is huge, huge amounts of data with huge volume, incredibly fast volume. Velocity, which is the amount of information that can be transmitted, that volume, how fast can it be transmitted. And variety refers to how diverse the types of data are that are being processed in terms of velocity and volume. The rise of big data and social media is one of the providers of big data is what has given rise to the current explosion in AI. Because this allowed machine learning algorithms that had been developed in years prior and were being improved to be trained on much, much larger sets of data and far greater diversity in those huge sets of data. And that allowed them to learn more complex patterns, to learn it faster and to make more accurate predictions. New data storage and processing technologies grew out of this. Hadoop, H-A-D-O-O-P, and Spark are two of them. And this began the process of deep learning. In other words, where computers are capable of learning from massive amounts of data that are transmitted at lightning speed and then make highly accurate predictions. And that brings us to the period of the last, oh, five to seven years, the advent of deep learning. Deep learning is a major, major step forward in the globalization of modern artificial intelligence. And it wasn't until after the rise of big data, think about Facebook, think about Google, all that kind of stuff, that deep learning was possible. In its basic essence, deep learning is a type of machine learning that uses artificial neural networks that are designed like the human brain. And these networks are made, made up of kind of layers of interconnected electrical nodes, each of which performs a specific mathematical function based on the data that they're fed. And the output of one layer of these neural computer networks serves as the input to the next so that each progressive layer is extracting more data, making more computations, and then passing that improved data set further refined to the next layer. And I don't pretend to be an expert in this stuff. In fact, folks, I'm a dinosaur, right? On, off, attach, delete, and send. Those are my commands for a computer. So I find this really fascinating. You know, it's kind of like T-Rex reading a book. <laughs> and now we are at what many say is the magical point in AI, the development of generative AI. Generative AI is like a specialized, focalized, folk artificial intelligence that involves creating AI systems that can generate new data or content that's similar to the data that it was originally trained on. In other words, now with generative AI, you no longer need to input. It's taking the input and it's creating its own input. Can you see how this is all moving exponentially? And by the way, that includes images and text and music and videos and you name it. And the key to this generative AI is what's called Transformers. No, not the movie. And they were introduced in a paper. They were just in paper form by Vaswani in just in 2017. That's, that is five years ago. 
and they are already being incorporated in natural language processing, image recognition, speech synthesis, all sorts of things. And of course in cameras and surveillance and deep state track you down to the nth degree technology. By the way, this is the basis of like GPT-4, chat G GPT, right? This is where it comes from. This is how it has exploded onto the scene. And of course, it is increasingly being used for autonomous weapon systems and for surveillance and oppression. Now, let me tell you about the rest of the story where it comes to AI. Putting aside all the things which could go wrong, machines becoming smarter than humans, machines deciding they don't like humans, machines believing that humans don't want the machines to progress or want to kill the machines. I mean, all those things like out of the Terminator, they're all possible. This is not a conspiracy theory and this is not hyperventilating. But in a more practical, down-to-earth sense, AI is going to have profound effects on you and your family, your employment, and the economies of the entire world. It could also lead, in fact it has led, to stiff adverse competition between the United States and China, the two leaders in AI. The United States for many years was way ahead of China on all this stuff. Everything I've told you about in the history all happened in the United States. But then through a combination of intellectual and technological theft, China began to catch up. They, they went into hyperdrive, as Joe Biden would say, the whole of government approach, when they had their Sputnik moment. If you remember back in time when Russia launched its first satellite, that prompted Kennedy to basically put NASA on a war footing to catch up to the Russians and move ahead of them. Well, China's Sputnik moment, believe it or not, came from a game. Most of the world, not so much in the United States or the Western countries, plays a game called Go. Many people consider it to be the most strategic game on the planet, even more so than chess, even more so than three-dimensional chess. I've never played it myself. I'm not familiar with it. But China's Sputnik moment came when the world champion, like five-time world champion, agreed to take on a computer in a tournament of Go games. And the computer, this is in 2016, and the computer was put together by Google. To make a long story short, 90% of Asia was behind the young man who was the Go wizard. And nobody believed that he could be beat. He lost four out of five games to the computer. And Chi, Chairman Chi, when he saw that, that was China's Sputnik moment. And now America and China are neck and neck in some categories, China's slightly ahead in some others, and America is slightly ahead in others. But both countries realize, <laughs> China with much more focus, they don't have gay pride flags hanging in Beijing, that AI very well could determine who is, who will be, or who remains the superpower on the face of the earth. And one more little piece of the rest of the story. Most folks who are way smarter than this hayseed have done long-term prognostications on the development of AI, how it's going to be used, what things it's going to be able be capable of doing in really just a few short years. And they all agree, these are two very startling facts, that AI, when it's fully implemented, and they think it's going to be in the late 2020s, early 2030s, will result in a loss or displacement of almost 50% of all the employment as we now know it on the face of the planet. And one really interesting ingredient to that is that most of that loss and displacement will be in white-collar jobs. Something to think about as you're getting ready to uh, 
spend or spend on behalf of your grandchildren or children hundreds of thousands of dollars for some highfalutin degree that is not either in the deep service industry or in the practical application industry, like engineering and law and that kind of stuff. In any event, AI is just getting started. No matter what the prophets have to say, the future is unknown, but the future is fast approaching. So I suggest you pay attention and you buckle up. The one thing I can almost assure you is it's going to be a bumpy ride. Now let's talk about Peter Hortez. Oh, what a peach this guy is. I told you we were going to talk about him last week, and this will be kind of a a little COVID update because it tells you everything you need to know about government and the government shills that are the authoritarian health Nazis. By the way, soon to be joined, we'll talk about this too, uh, the United Nations is on a rampage, soon to be joined by the climate change health Nazis. So Peter Hortez, right? He's a doctor, he's a researcher, and somehow he's amassed a net worth of $35 million. He's considered, in fact, one of the richest scientists anywhere. And he earns millions from various health organizations that are based out of China. Oh, what a surprise. And, of course, the United States. He was the founding dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine, a professor of pediatrics and molecular virology and microbiology at Baylor College. And early in the pandemic, this same Peter Hortez testified to Congress. It's all, you know, it's a video against coronavirus vaccines, saying that no vaccine had ever succeeded in terms of coronavirus, and he's correct, and that EUA, you know, European Union, approval standards were far too low to guarantee a safe vaccine for the general public. Funny enough, Hortez changed his tune right after Fauci, fraudulent Fauci, our buddy, appointed him to head up the NIH's official COVID vaccine committee. Oh, yes. And since then, he's enjoyed the limelight and he's been pontificating and spouting about, and I kid you not, folks, about how vaccines need to be mandated. And if you don't take a vaccine and follow the mandate, you need to be arrested. And anybody who was anti-COVID vax, the COVID jab, was either A, a Nazi, B, an extreme right-wing nationalist, or C, a racist, because you know the impact on people of color and minorities from you not taking a jab. And of course, he also got in, <laughs> you know, you can't make this up, that you were an agent of Putin. Oh, shame on you. You know, Robert F. Kennedy is running for president. And by the way, he's very interesting. We have a new kind of section in our news articles we post every week. Presidential 2024, I'm posting articles about all the candidates. Take a look at him. He's a very interesting guy and really very conservative. And he gets it as to the deep state. And he gets it as to the jabs. And he gets it as to the government, the continual, the incessant government psyops campaign against you on all sorts of levels. We're going to talk about economics here next. Anyway, RFK was interviewed on Joe Rogan, and he said exactly what he thinks, and he has the science to back it up, as we all know. And Peter Hortez came unglued. He went on MSNBC and NBC and ABC and PBS and, you know, all the names, and he did his spouting. Well, Rogan came up with a great idea. How about he sponsors a debate between RFK Jr. and Peter Hortez on his show? I mean, listen, let's talk about the science. You have a supposed science denier, RFK, and you have a science 
stalwart Peter Hortez. Let's have a debate. And by the way, he offered $100,000 to Hortez to a charity of Hortez's choice. Hortez refused. People upped the ante. In the end, there was more than a million dollars that would have gone to the charities of Hortez's choice. I'm sure left wing. Hortez refused to debate. Now, that really kind of tells you all you need to know. Here's this esteemed doctor who's afraid to debate a trained attorney with some medical background who he accuses of being a Nazi and a vaccine denier and an agent of Putin and who knows what else. You know, people who have something to hide, hide it. Or should I say, people who have nothing to hide are willing to talk about it. And one last thing on Hortez, you know those private companies I told you about that donate to him? Guess who comprises the bulk of that? Oh, Big Pharma! Oh, what a surprise. Let's talk very briefly about the economic psyops that is coming your way. I've given you all sorts of information over the last three weeks. If you didn't listen to it, on the rightsideradio.com, listen to the history of recessions and the history of money and the history of banking and the history of the Federal Reserve. And listen to the economic rat-a-tat-tats I brought you. Actual stats and figures, which, by the way, are government stats and figures. They just kind of hide them. They tell you something else. And the latest and greatest, if you don't think this is all orchestrated, GDP was upgraded from quarter one just a few days ago. In fact, I think it was Tuesday of last week from 1.2 or whatever percent to 2%, which is still anemic. But the markets rallied and everybody went rah, rah, rah. And PBS and NBC and Kramer and who knows who else. Oh, you know, bull market. This is great. No recession. We're golden. And then, you know, Wednesday, like the day after, President Cadaver goes on national TV and in his stumble mumble tells us how great the economy is and how great Bidenomics is. He's even termed it Bidenomics. Now, what are the chances of suddenly these revised figures? I've told you about them in the past. These revised figures, which are usually buried, right? Because they're usually, once they're revised, way, way, way not as good as the figures you were originally presented that all the mainstream media folks crowed about for a week as part of the PSYOPs. In this case, it is trumpeted. And the day after, you get an address on how great Biden is doing from Biden's own lips on the economy. Hmm. Must be one of those coincidences. I'm not going to give you a big economic rat-a-tat-tat today. I forgot to mention, over the last three or four weeks, we have a new page on the website. The link is in the upper right corner of the homepage on the rightsideradio.com. It says economic charts. These are charts that are put together by noted economists using the government's numbers. That's right, the government's own numbers. As fuzzy as they may be and as obviously subject to change as the government may wish from time to time for whatever nefarious purpose. But these are from the government's. The government's own uh, Computer algorithms, since we've been talking about AI. And rather than me giving you the spout, go on the website, click on that link, and take a look at, I think, the 15 or 20 charts, which tell you everything you need to know in a picture, using the government's own stats. You'll find it fascinating, I guarantee you. And we're going to keep adding to that page as new charts come out, either monthly or quarterly or whatever the reporting period is. 
Let's talk about Biden corruption, which is getting more and more in your face, like with every passing day. They've now discovered that he had a burner phone, you know, connected to all those people he never knew about, about Hunter Biden's deals he never discussed and had not an inkling of. A burner phone is like the secret satellite phone, folks. It kind of keeps things off the radar of your normal cell phone, your telephone, etc. And it's much more difficult for federal agencies to track, not that they're tracking the corrupt president of the United States, they're chasing parents at PTA meetings. But putting that aside, we all know, and it's been proven, that part of this corruption, of the, the many flows, the rivers of money that floated Joe and Hunter Biden and the rest of the corrupt cadaver family came from many sources one of them being ukraine and we all know that ukraine has been one of the most corrupt countries on the face of the earth i have some absolutely mind-boggling i guarantee you mind-boggling videos posted from a news outfit called the gray side excellent reporters by the way i follow them off and on but these are exceptional videos one is testimony by the editor-in-chief to the high mucky mucks at the Security Council of the United Nations. I'm going to let those videos speak for themselves, but they are posted under rat-a-tat-tat under the audio bar, under corruption, treason, family safety, and elsewhere. And one of them is posted on Presidential 2024. I'll give you one little, one little point of salivation in terms of curiosity. Did you know that there's kind of this secret fund? It's called the DIA Fund. And $15 billion has been sent to Ukraine from this fund, like circumventing Congress. This is all facts and figures. You should see the research these guys did. Because somehow, the DOD and the Department of State just haven't had the time to audit the plus or minus $150 billion of our tax money without our consent that's been sent to Ukraine. And Ukraine is about to blow up. You have the big NATO conference in Vilnius, which just so happens to be, and listen to last week's show, you know, give or take an hour, hour and a half's drive in a armored vehicle and a two-second flight by a nuclear missile that is now based in Belarus. And oh, yeah, Prigozhin and 8,000 of his fighters. Gee, big surprise. That wasn't supposed to happen. Are suddenly in Belarus. And the NATO group, because they can't keep their mouths shut and they don't have a living brain cell amongst them, has been talking about this momentous decision that's going to be reached at this. And then, of course, Lindsey Graham and that moron, I mean, he's just despicable, Blumenthal, the senator from Connecticut, do a press conference the beginning of last week saying, if there's one gamma ray that we detect in Ukraine from any source whatsoever, NATO's going all in. And then, of course, you have the Sayas from Ukraine pretending to evacuate people from the big power plant on the river where they blew the dam and talking about how the Russians have mined it and the Russians plan to blow it up and it'll be a radiological disaster. I mean, do you see how all this is shaping up? It's like, (laughs) it's PSYOPs 101. Listen to my five shows on PSYOPs several months ago. Five History of PSYOPs. On the rightsideradio.com, you're seeing it in full force and display right now. But that little tidbit to get you interested here, of that $15 billion, it seems that $4.5 billion of your tax money went to pay off the entirety of Ukraine's international debt. Huh. 
So we have $34 trillion in debt, and we go with secret funds and pay off Ukraine's national debt. And who do you think that $4.5 billion went to? Who do you think held that debt? Three guesses. BlackRock. You know, the more we get into BlackRock, and I've brought you a lot of information about them, the more I think something really needs to be done about these quasi-banks, these oligarchical control institutions that control trillions of cash, are run by woke and ultra-left men who, of course, delight in getting their tens and tens of millions of dollars in paychecks and bonuses every year, you know, because capitalism is good for them, but it's not so good for you unless, of course, you're a capitalist working to pay them. Now, if that doesn't piss you off, I don't know what will. Listen to those videos and pass them around. People really need to know this stuff. It is totally buried by a corrupt government and a collusive corrupt press. And I can tell looking at the clock, we're not going to have any time to go into more China silk and belt, belt and silk initiative stuff today. But next week, we're going to get into several (laughs) startling aspects of this grandiose and so far highly successful plan the Chinese have embarked on, much to the chagrin, assuming there's living brain cells of folks in Washington and the Western world. As a little teaser, you know, we talked about the belt, right? The belt is all the overland and, should we say, terra firma improvements over five continents. And the road is all the maritime, sea improvements, ports and lanes. Well, guess what? There's also an ice silk road. Let me mention Russia and the poles and a digital silk road and a super grid. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's do some quick rat-a-tat-tat, shall we? <laughs> Listen, good luck on getting car insurance in St. Louis, right? First of all, my heart goes out to those people who lost loved ones or had people uh, wounded in that attack. Have you noticed that they got nothing to say and there's no pictures of the perp? Oh, I wonder why that is. I bet you we find out, and not through mainstream media. But Baltimore is a mess as is any large American city run by the Democrats. So you can't get car insurance in St. Louis anymore, folks. Insurance companies are so sick of paying for stolen cars that they're refusing coverage on certain makes and models. A a Hyundai or a Kia, forget it. You cannot get insurance. In fact, thefts of those two makes have risen 1,450%. Do you remember last week I told you about the government coming for your gas stoves, your refrigerators, your washers, your dryers, you name it, your cars, your firstborn, if it wasn't aborted in a blue state? Well, guess what? New York City does not want to be outdone by the feds, so they have now come up with a rule which says that all wood-burning pizza ovens in the city of New York, which, by the way, is quite a few, have to reduce their emissions by 85%. So I guess, folks, if you like wood-fired pizza, like most of us do, you better get ready for the crust not to be done and the topping to be cold. And also in New York City, I mean, Looney Tunes around the country in big D blue cities. Mayor Adams, besides insulting, I think it was the beginning of last week, some really elderly woman 
who was complaining about the increase in rents. I mean, this went viral. I'm I, Hopefully, I'm going to have this video on the website for you. But he called her a white racist for complaining about rents and white privileged. This gal is a Holocaust survivor. Hey, you folks of the Jewish traditions out there who keep pulling that D lever, wake up, folks. Like, you know, let the light bulb blink. And Mayor Adams, we're not done with him in this show. He's now decided, or actually he's proclaimed, that all those illegal aliens that have come to his sanctuary city are going to cost $4.3 billion by June of 2024. And the feds have only only given New York City $40 million. Wah! Wah! You know, be careful what you ask for, Adam. But there's a deeper story here. If it's costing New York City $4.3 billion, think about what it's costing the United States of America with what's happening on the southern border and the diffusion of all these illegal aliens across the country. Hundreds of billions, maybe a trillion. And it's all out of your pocket, just like the, that Ukraine money, folks. We're just sponges to be soaked and then wrung dry. And then on some other, I'm just going to give you headlines. The stories will be posted under Rat-a-tat-tat and the appropriate section in our article posting on the website on the rightsideradio.com. So these are just some headlines, folks, but it'll give you a feel. Read the articles, your eyes will cross. I wish I had more time to go over some of this stuff in more detail with you. So Biden, I told you about that satellite burner phone that was found out that Biden has now denied. Oh, gee, big surprise. Well, you know what? An intrepid reporter got a hold of that number somehow and called it. Guess who answered it? That's right. Joe Biden, alias President Cadaver. There's huge riots in France. You may have heard snippets of this, but it's barely being covered by MSM. They don't want to give us any ideas, you know. Those riots are now spreading to a number of other countries, and it seems that what's taking hold over there is riots by immigrants, illegal immigrants, or immigrants that were welcomed into the loving European fold by the progressive leaders over there, the same guys who are, and gals who are meeting over there in Vilnius to decide the fate of the planet, more or less. By the way, the mayor of Baltimore, in talking about this terrible shooting that occurred there, we still don't know who did it. Yeah, okay. I guarantee you, not white, not a nationalist, not a Republican. But she's blaming Texas and Florida for that shooting. It's all their fault. Yes, indeed. It seems that there's an explosion of cancer. I brought you this story two or three weeks ago. And, I mean, really, really, really rapidly moving cancer, what they call turbo cancer. Uh, if you go to the COVID page, that article is on there. Quote, cancer is exploding because of CV-19 vax, unquote. It's by Dr. Betsy Eads. Suggest you read it. Then there was this, like, gay pride parade or demonstration or something or whatever, and they marched down the streets, and this was either San Francisco or Chicago or New York. I mean, is there really a difference? No. Saying, we're coming for your children. The video's on the website. You can listen to yourself. May I suggest, parents and grandparents, you wake up and get involved. And I don't care that the FBI thinks you're a domestic terrorist because you raise hell at the PTA meetings. This is the future of your family and your country at stake. And next week, I want to talk to you about these 
I'm not going to go over them because you know what they are. That Supreme Court ruled on last week. It was a hell of a week for the Constitution. Yay, Constitution. Except in one case. But, you know, the left is incensed. And they have a whole campaign and a plan to get rid of or replace with or outnumber the current justices on the Supreme Court. We're going to talk about that next week. It's really key because the only thing that's keeping a partial lid on this boiling pot of absolute insanity and intentional mayhem is the Supreme Court. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction this week after July 4th. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.